Hello and welcome back to season three of Sequelizers, the show all about fixing bad sequels to good movies. If there's a good movie that was followed by a terrible sequel, you better believe we're going to try and fix it. I'm your host, Jack Chambers, and joining me are the two teams of titular Sequelizers. The team of Alec Plowman. Hello. And Stuart Ashen. Hello. And their opponents, Tim Matum. Hola. And Matt Stockton. Greetings, Shylander, you called. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> As you may have guessed from Matthew's del- delicious dialect there. <laughs> this episode about fixing maybe the worst film ever made. Uh, it's certainly up <laughs> there, contender. and we will get into that oh so much in this episode. We're going to be fixing 1991's Highlander 2, colon, The Quickening. <laughs> because... Oh. That's a thing. Mm. Yeah. Colon quickening. Colon the quickening. Mm. Exactly. And this is by far one of the most requested things. People have requested this since they heard about this podcast before episode one was even out. Like, oh, by the way, I'm doing a podcast about Fix Highlander 2. It's garbage. And they were right all along. (laughs) Highlander 2 is terrible. And uh, yeah. yeah. It's almost a work of art in its... (laughs) In, in its terribleness. Yeah. <laughs> to fail is art. <laughs> and just the camera pans down to a DVD of Highlander 2. Yeah. Any version. I hope to fail is art should really be the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Highlander 5. But okay. We'll get into all the other sequels later on as well, because good lord, there's like 10 of them. There's so much to come with Highlander. And this- none of them are any good. <laughs> Actually, we'll get into that in a moment. Don't tell me one of them <laughs> is. There's one of them that's quite good. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe Matt knows because mm, he's a nerd. So I'll give it some context. And I didn't really want to come up with anything that hadn't already been said. And I think our old pal Roger Ebert kind of summed it up very well in his review. So I'm going to quote the late, great Roger Ebert. This movie has to be seen to be believed. On the other hand, maybe that's too high of a price to pay. Highlander 2 The Quickening is the most hilariously incomprehensible movie I've seen in many a long day. A movie almost awesome in its badness. Almost to quote Tim there. (laughs) Wherever science fiction fans gather in decades and generations to come, this film will be remembered in hushed tones as one of the immortal low points of the entire genre's history. He's not wrong. He's not wrong, is he? Usually old Ebert, we have a few words to say about Roger. But... A few words, a lot of sounds. Yeah. A few Glaswegian just words. and shaking fists at Roger Ebert. But he kind of nailed it in the is, and pretty much as Tim said, it's almost awesome in its badness. It's hard to believe how much this film undoes everything that the first one set up and all the acting is terrible almost universally and all the effects are terrible. And we'll get, we'll get into all of that in a moment. First... Let me give you a synopsis, folks. Because <laughs> I hate Good myself. Luck. Good and luck. Can we um? Can we just briefly give the people a synopsis of Highlander? I because think I think it's important to so put into context. To cover. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Just how much of a sequel this actually is. Matt Stogden's gonna give us his synopsis of Higglehander. Go. <laughs> Hello, audience. So Highlander is a bit of a mishmash in terms of actual chronological narrative. So we're gonna go with it in a sort of odd order and I apologize for that. The film covers the story of a group of beings called immortals 
not called Highlanders, <laughs> as many will be led to believe, <laughs> there is one Highlander because he comes from the Highlands of Scotland. Um, sort of, as we'll discuss. Exactly. In a yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> fucking hell. even even the first sentence we're already oh, yeah. fucking heard, yeah. like falling over. So yes, um, there are uh, various immortals, and they uh, are competing for a prize. Um, the the pro- prize. The I prize, believe. in fact, yes. And the prize is largely unknown, but they convince it's a source of immense power and, and all sorts. And the only way to kill an immortal, I believe just by another immortal, it's never established if it's done by accident. They can die by other means as well. Yeah. It's explored in the sequels. Oh, God, it is, yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen them, to be fair. Anyway, so the, the key way and the only way to kill an immortal is to decapitate them, to cut off their head. Um, so they all tend to carry swords around all the time. Uh, and when nothing this... else can cut off a person's head. Nope, nope. You don't need like a chainsaw or well, anything else that would bit do of glass. The job. I've yeah. seen the omen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so basically, um, they all have a lot of sword fights every now and again in various places. And when they uh, one is vanquished, the power within them is sort of distributed accordingly, and they become stronger and stronger until and what's, finally. What's the name of that power in that moment that, that transfers? That moment is called. The quickening. Oh my god. Um, which Such is drama. fucking nonsense. <laughs> um, and at that point, uh, they become stronger and stronger until lastly two remain, because there can be only one. That's a thing in this film and whole series, except it's fucking abandoned very quickly. And the idea is there can be only one, and when the wrench is one, he wins the prize or whatever. And Highlander has a sort of split narrative between 1985, uh, in the in inverted commas contemporary period, following Connor McLeod, who is just sort of towards the end of the contest as it were and he's about to possibly win or lose against his old adversary or adversary the Kurgan played by Clancy Brown Clancy Brown's pretty good in it Clancy Brown's he's great, great in yeah. Yeah. Clancy Brown very rarely does anything bad uh, performance wise um, and it cuts back to his life when he first became an immortal or had his immortal awakening as it were when he was sort of tutor- tutored by uh, what is it Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez who is a Egyptian person who travels to Japan falls in love with a woman gets a special sword goes to Spain and gets a new name I think at that yes. point and then he goes to Scotland and it's played by Sean motherfucking Connery <laughs> convincing you he has no idea what haggis is which is astounding <laughs> anyway so they become friends for some reason which Highlander 2 tries to cover. It does. Well, it's it's sort of explained in the first Highlander the reason that they team up is because everybody recognizes that the Kurgan is a bad guy because the and they say that because when you win the prizes that you get is it that you get a wish? No, that's no. Dragon Ball. You get yeah. <laughs> you get like untold power and knowledge. Yeah. It's like okay. all the power and right. knowledge, and depending on who it is, it will be either good or evil. Yeah. An evil person will influence it to be evil. Because the way the way I took Highlander is that all of the immortals have realised that if the power goes to the Kurgan, then all hell's going to break yeah. loose they on have, planet there's Earth. There's a bit of a good and evil kind of thing because there's a. Uh, um, um, McLeod has a few sort of buddies along the way that he meets yeah. up with and they all end up dying and <laughs> eventually anyway so they get to the end of the film and Connor defeats the Kurgan becomes the quickened I guess uh, <laughs> the, the quickened speedy the yeah <laughs> he becomes the flash he gets all the knowledge in the world and he can hear everything and in his own words I know everything I see everything I shit everything <laughs> he can read minds and predict the future and all kinds of weird exactly. shit exactly yeah. but maybe because it's so yeah, ill defined so, it's so <laughs> weird and then he, he's also no longer sterile and can have kids and is mortal and is well. mortal yes you Spanish peacock didn't tell me that <laughs> <laughs> because it's also like a bit of a rug pull you win what do, we, what do you win to die 
oh, well, I should have just fucking had my head cut off in the first place. What's the point? It's like having, it's like saying, well, you've had 500 years of being uh, a contestant. Now you have about, I don't know, 40 years of being God. The, Enjoy the, that. The point is that you get to listen to a great Queen song. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> the Queen soundtrack is pretty, The soundtrack of the first one is pretty impressive. nothing short of amazing. Unless you have something to say about it, Alec. I later. Yeah. So uh, um yeah, so that's that's the, the general idea of what Highlander is. And again, the misconceptions about it all in terms of what a Highlander is, and it's like no no no. Technically the Highlander in question, arguably, is Connor McLeod, played by Christopher Lambert, or Christophe Lambert, whichever you want to go with. <laughs> um we haven't it's decided. A point, it's a point go of contention, yet. isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um yeah. So now Jack, tell us what Highlander 2 is. Yeah. Right. Where would, where Are we go you from sitting here? comfortably, children? <laughs> so, then we'll begin let's, the Let's effluent. follow the natural progression yeah, yeah. of the <laughs> saga. Bear in mind, Ramirez dies Ramirez at the dead. end of the first one. He, he dies in like the... In the 1500s. 12, yeah, 1500s. Yeah, yeah. In a, in a castle. Exactly. Ramirez is dead and Connor is mortal. So we pick up... We're in 1999, the distant future of 1999, which is a common thing for us, apparently, people wanting to set things in the distant future of the 90s. Hello, Predator 2. Before, before you go any further, Jack, as much as you want to read out the synopsis, it may be worth talking about the fact that there might be two synopses for this film. Yes, sort because of. Because technically... There's multiple endings and two different cuts. Yeah. And we'll we'll yeah. come on to that. We give will, us, we the, will get give us the baseline Theatrical or GTFO. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Continue. We begin in 1999 when Connor solves the problem of an ever-depleting ozone layer on Earth by devising a giant electromagnetic shield across the entire planet. We'll get on to why that's a big problem in a minute. Because <laughs> yeah. physics, Jack, is pissed off. <laughs> the Earth is saved, except for the fact that it's now constantly 99 degrees, horrendously humid, and in perpetual darkness. Forty years later, Connor is a liver-spotted old man, heading out of the opera for some reason. <laughs> then we flash back to him on his home planet of Zeist. Oh yeah, <laughs> by the way, they're all aliens for some reason. The reason Matt didn't mention that in Highlander 1, because it comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. It's hundreds of years ago on planet Zeist. Connor and Ramirez, yes, that is their name on their home planet. His name is Ramirez, despite the fact he's an Egyptian guy who got a Spanish name from living in Spain. But actually, that's been his alien name all along. Yep. Because <laughs> reasons. Fucking coincidence. Yeah, it, as if yeah. Superman was always called Clark Kent and then he happened to land on Earth and he spoke English Kenny the whole time. Oh, what yeah. a coincidence. <laughs> anyway, back on Zeist. Conor Ramirez lead a futile coup against the ruling dictator Katana, who's played by the fantastic Michael Ironside. Speaking of good villains, Kurgan is great in the first yes. one, and Ironside tries to be good in the second one. Oh, poor he, poor he, Michael Ironside. Yeah, Ironside just goes so crazy ridiculous. He does, he so, does. Yeah. Basically, they fail, and he banishes them to Earth, hence Highlander 1. He banishes them 500 years ago, because the timelines of both planets line up for some reason and they teleport and there's no explanation for any of this stuff. Also, his name just happens to be a sword on Earth. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they all happen to be named after things that exist on Earth, despite the fact there's no connection between the... And they all look like humans for... Anyway. <laughs> Back in the future... That's a line I just said. Katana sends a pair of immortal hitmen to kill Connor. He could have just left Connor to die. We'll get yeah. onto that in a moment. There can be only one ex except, except these there's loads as well. of them. Connor decapitates them and revives himself to his youthful and immortal self via the quickening. 
I'm going to say that a lot. Just in, just in time to meet attractive young scientist Louise Marcus, who's kind of a terrorist. She's completely a terrorist. Mm, we'll get into that in a moment as well. Who has discovered that the shield around the Earth is no longer needed since the ozone layer has healed itself magically. But, unfortunately, the shield is now in the clutches of an evil cartel who wants to control the Earth's resources. Connor and Louise must team up to battle the cartel while Katana sends more emissaries to get Connor. Ramirez, for some reason, comes back to life in the 21st century <laughs> and is just back and uses his powers during Hamlet. arbitrarily. Oh, during... <laughs> he comes back. That is one during... of the worst scenes I've ever seen in his, anything. His death scene is equally bad, and we'll get to that in a moment, because oh, he hell. dies again. Eventually, the good guys kind of triumph, and there's one ending where they teleport McLeod and Marcus teleport back to planet Zeist and everything's fine, even though it was kind of an apocalyptic wasteland 500 years ago and I don't know why that's changed. Mm-hmm. And the other one, he kind of just solves the problem and it frees friends <laughs> <laughs> on Christopher Lambert's face, just doing a smile for no reason. And I wish I was making this up, but yeah, the fairy tale ending, which sounds terrible, which is the teleporting and they kiss in space thing is the better of the two endings. <laughs> Can you believe it? So that is I've, the... I've got some love for Lambert Face. I'm going to throw it out there. If we had subtitles to episodes, Love for Lambert Face would absolutely <laughs> be the subtitle to this episode. So that is the summary of the theatrical cut. So there's, there's two different cuts, and we'll get onto that in a moment. First, before we get into all of that... Would you guys like to guess the Rotten Tomato oh, score for Highlander 2, Highlander 2. It's, it's and the zero. average score out of 10? It's got to be zero because there is no way a professional critic could give it a point or, to, or Stu- recommend Stuart's it to anyone. Stuart's in it a zero. I'm seconding that. This seconding is fucking dog shit. Jesus Christ. 12%. Okay. I'm, I'm going to say five just in case some ridiculous people did something. Plauschen's a spot on. Oh, it's, it's a Mulan it's our, it's our second 0% film. Ugh. And uh, the original Highlander, any guesses on that one? 65. Oh, okay, okay, 65. 65. It was a cult thing. I don't think it actually was received well by anybody. No, it was not received well at the time and didn't do well in the American box office either. It was saved by Europe, as we'll discuss in a moment. It was saved by Highlander. Fuck you, Europe. More of our crimes. Uh, I'm going to say 47. Okay, okay. Yeah, I reckon that's a good shot. I'm going to say slightly less, 43. I'm going to go, like, 72. It's 68%. Oh! oh. Average of 6.1. Highlander like, 2 6 has... 10 sounds like a reasonable thing yeah. for Highlander for me. Yeah. Ooh, um, know. Highlander Ooh, 2 has an average of 2.7 out of 10, which I think is maybe being generous. Yeah. <laughs> People really like God. Sean Connery, is what we conclude yeah. from People yeah. involved with the film and their mums. <laughs> yeah. So, the Renegade version is a recut done by a bunch of the crew funding it himself. Russell Mulcahy, the director, who is returning for the second one. And And then leaving midway through. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So they had huge budgetary problems and all sorts of stuff. Basically, they were shooting in Argentina and the peso crashed in the 80s. Mm. So their budget went from like millions of dollars to suddenly that meant absolutely nothing and they ran out of budget literally overnight because it was fluctuating on a daily basis. And he then came back years later and was like, I didn't get to finish my masterpiece, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Even though, and I'll get to that in a moment, he didn't want to make the second one, and that was a push from the European distributors of the VHS, Mm. because it sold so well on VHS in Europe that they were like, we need a sequel 
people just keep buying this, but we need to give them more. <laughs> we're like, no, I've, I've told the story of the Highlander. It's done. He was fucking correct. <laughs> there can be only mm. one. There can yes. be only one. <laughs> Wrong. There was like 10 of them. Mm. So the European distributors pushed him into it, gave him a bunch of money, which then didn't work in Argentina. And it basically just stopped. And they ran out of time and money and they didn't finish the film, which is why it's so edited and so weird and so mad and insane. I, I wasn't aware at all of the, the whole peso crash Oh, really? Thing. And yeah. it makes me wonder if within the next couple of years we're going to see a similar thing happen with the first film funded in Bitcoin uh, <laughs> or some other like dodgy cryptocurrency that halfway through Possibly. just tanks. But it'll be fine. We've plumped for Ethereum for my next film. So everything will be... Oh, my God! There's even a short documentary called Highlander 2 Seduced by Argentina, which goes into the whole details of this, which is where I'm getting most of this information from. That's a... so I much... mean, that's such a better subtitle than this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was so much corruption going on in Argentina as well. Apparently, all the, like the I'm pretty sure there were stories of how Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery were almost taken in on uh, various scams. Like Sean Connery nearly bought a mansion, but pulled out the last minute, and thankfully, and, and Lambert lost all his money on the film because he was like weaseling away either in oh, and clubs and er- everyone was drunk on yeah. set apparently because that's like all there was Mario to do in Argentina. <laughs> and um, oh, Victoria Madsen and. Christopher Lambert were just shagging the whole time, even though I think one of them was married at the time, if not both of them were married at the time, and it was a whole thing. Sean Connery was a grumpy old bastard. He's Sean Connery, of course he is. He he returned for the sequel because he was paid three and a half million dollars. I heard he gave that to charity, but I don't know if he... I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, yeah. The charity of Sean Connery. And he also didn't let anyone on either set mention the words James Bond. Oh, Wow. Because he does the thing where he plays one character and he doesn't return. This is the only character, yeah. apart from James Bond, he has returned to play more than once. <laughs> yeah. Poor old Sean Connery. So the whole budget crashed and that was a whole thing. And uh, yeah, it ended up being a mess of a film. They even went back and reshot scenes. It's 18 minutes longer, <clears throat> despite the fact they edited out most of the Zeist stuff. Mm. And it was released in mid-1995 and is a considerable improvement on the first because it literally couldn't be any worse. (laughs) And they brought actors back to reshoot stuff. They completely redid 80% of the special effects. It was partially like funded by the director and the former cast and some of the crew came back and were like, yeah, we got shortchanged on this. Let's remake it and, and do it correctly and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. It, it couldn't possibly save this movie because it is one of the worst films ever made. And we're, we're going to be fixing the theatrical cut because it is just so bad. The Renegade version still needs fixing, but for, for all intents and purposes of sequelizers, the theatrical cut is what we're considering what we're going to fix. It's worth pointing out that the Renegade cut, while better than the theatrical cut, is still awful. Oh, yeah. It's gone from like two, 2.7 to like a 4 point something. I'd say like a, a 5. <laughs> yeah. It's better, but it's not. It's not great. It's it's not. You you can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter, kind of thing. It's like, well, that's a thing. Exactly. And they're also followed by a bunch of sequels and terrible video games, which might be relevant to your interest, your yeah, Ash. It's some sort of well, reflection on the Highlander franchise as a whole that Highlander has an exclusive game for the Atari Jaguar. <laughs> it's is intense. Every Highlander game I've ever seen. Oh, I've played the 
is there a PlayStation 1 one, I think there was, or possibly a PlayStation 2? Uh, and there was a recently, possibly recently released one, but that was never actually went through production. No, that was never made. No, never actually made. I must just correct myself. It was actually for the Atari Jaguar CD, I've remembered. So oh. managed to get even, <laughs> even worse. Even more yeah. obscure. And it's, it is utter dog shit. Yeah, all Highlander games are utter dog shit. Um, but we also have Highlander 3, The Sorcerer. Highlander oh. Endgame, the anime, mm. Matthew Stogden. Mm-hmm. Because Matt's a nerd about anime, which is actually really good. That's the good one, Stuart. Which is called oh, Highlander: the, the Search for Vengeance, mm. and Highlander: Source is the most recent one, which I think was uh, in the late two thousands. Oh, that's that's got to be zero on Rotten Tomatoes again. Like that. Yeah. So Endgame, Sorcerer, and the Source are all terrible, but the Search for Vengeance is actually quite good, and you can watch that totally standalone. Mm. I would advise seeing the first film and then Search for Vengeance. Ignore literally everything else in the franchise. All like fifteen of the novels, scrap those, and don't Get worry it about all anything in else. The fucking bin. It amazes me with Highlander that there was a franchise because, as you said, there are a shitload of films and then a shitload of novels and two TV series and all of this spin-off Highlander stuff. Highlander is proof that you can take a really simple, potentially great concept. And find an audience for it so just perfectly. Milk it until and just it's milk dry. the fuck out of it. And they will just say, I'll take it. And it's like, oh, it's terrible. One could say it's what's happening with the DC cinematic universe. Oh, controversial. Not controversial. In, He's right. In the sense that this is just a case of like, we'll buy it. So it's uh it's not good. Don't matter, it's got Batman in it, we'll take it. And that's kind of what the Highlanders it's Highlander fans. <laughs> We'll you suck. Find, yeah, <laughs> Highlander fans will tend to find something good to say about Highlander 2. Not, and, and it's usually like, say, like, oh, Renegade Cut's worth watching because of this. And, oh, well, when they finally got the visual effects sorted in 2007 and they went back and did it again, it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> there are better films. In my process of researching, there is a man, I assume it's a man, who defends Highlander 2. Christopher Lambert. <laughs> it's, it's Christopher Lambert's secret WordPress blog. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm not making this up, I swear to God. And uh, I will put a link in the show notes if you really, really want it. This is furrysenpai.wordpress.com. Oh, <laughs> well. <laughs> and that isn't Chris. His uh, post is basically... I can smell his Twitter avatar. <laughs> it is called Defending Highlander 2, The Quickening. My life's work. <laughs> filling some plot holes. And it is almost a scene-for-scene scene breakdown and a plot hole-by-plot hole breakdown of how the film actually kind of works. Is it longer than War and Fucking Peace? Yes, oh it is. Oh, my God! Yes, it is. Oh, my God. Just scrolling. Somebody, somebody put time into 15 this. 15 pages with accompanying screenshots of each scene, some are YouTube clips of scenes. It's... Madness and the fact that there are enough people to actually defend this shit is insane. People want it to be good so badly that exactly. they will argue that it's good until they are convinced. Batman versus Superman, anyone? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It, it it doesn't surprise me hearing it that the anime version is the one that's the most successful because, like Matt says, there there is the core of a good idea mm-hmm. in the Highlander, mm-hmm. and it's quite an anime idea i think at the heart of it it's something afro samurai is not that far off yeah exactly it's something that if you just heard described to you without any sense of like what medium it was in and had to guess you would probably go it it sounds pretty anime especially once they turn into aliens yes (laughs) Yes. and then halfway through the season it turns out that they're from a different planet oh yes yes. (laughs) so speaking of planet zeist 
fucking Let's hell. get into the meat of it, shall we, gentlemen? Why does Highlander 2 need sequelizing? <laughs> Sit the fuck down. Let me, let me list the ways. <laughs> Before we get into this, I think we should uh, share some of our thoughts on the original Highlander. Oh, this is because point, this is a movie that the sequelizers have some mixed opinions on, it transpires. And let's get into that now. So I hadn't actually seen Highlander until very recently for this. And it's one of those films I've been told is good, and it really sounds like my kind of thing, because it's high concept. It's a bit Camp 80 stuff, you know, effects are a bit dodgy, the performances aren't the best, you know, it's a bit rough and ready, it's a bit cheap. That is my jam. (laughs) But I watched it, and it was not my jam. (laughs) It was my marmalade. (laughs) And I fucking hate marmalade. (laughs) It's a mess. It's like the editing is bad. The performances are bad. Clancy Brown is fun. That is the only good thing. If I had to give a positive pull quote for the DVD (laughs) case, it would be Clancy Brown is fun. It's just the whole thing kind of, I mean, it's got this intriguing concept of the immortals. It doesn't delve into it properly at all really which leaves it a bit mysterious you could say leaves it a bit fucking unexplored more technically and just the whole thing i was totally unengaging i was so bloody disappointed with it and i know you know years later a lot of the sort of 80s-ness of it isn't going to stand up in the same way but i mean if you're going to watch some sort of campy high concept 80s thing watch something like robot jocks where you will have a lot of fun with it (laughs) not this where it's kind of dull and lambert's dreadful and drains at every scene he does because all he can do is give a smouldering look and move his lips a bit <laughs> and then there's Connery and they're hoovering up the money and pretending he's Egyptian and uh, I was very disappointed it's not dreadful by any stretch but it's really sort of sub-average straight to vi- canon video kind of thing <laughs> it was uh, I was very disappointed I grew up on these movies and I loved the first one as a kid and unknowingly, I quite liked the second one because I saw it when I was about seven and I had no concept of what films were. And in an age-old story that Jack Chambers seems to repeat, I saw the second one first when I was really young, <laughs> just as I did with Predator 2 and Aliens and had no fucking clue what was going on. So the the two guys on the hoverboards with the jetpack immortal assassin scene was burned into my retinas as a child and I couldn't remember anything else about that movie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, I actually really like the first one. I rewatched it. You are right, Stuart, in that it's campy shit, but Which not isn't good the problem campy shit. in of its... Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it, the problem. I, it's I not fun rise, enough. If it was good, it would kind of be like Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. Big Trouble in Little China nails the campy 80s uh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. The, like, the electricity effects are almost identical between these yeah. two films. Yeah. Like, yeah. The special effects budget looks almost the same, but Little China actually pulls it off really, really well and embraces the campiness. It's also aware of itself, whereas Highlander is not. That's the real problem. Yeah, it embraces the campiness and it's aware of itself, where Highlander is like, it's camp 80s stuff, but we're telling a really deep and important story about humanity at the same time. It's like, not really. I, well, not I would quite. pay a significant sum of money to hear Sean Connery say six demon bag um, <laughs> I, I'm a bit um, in the middle of all this so uh, strange enough much like Jack I saw the second one first because I remember in the early 90s seeing it advertised on TV all the fucking time as a kid yep and yep. it looked really cool just because it was really fastly edited. And I don't remember anything other than just seeing Dark Streets and all of a sudden... So you're a big fan of Taken then? <laughs> no. 
because I uh, grew up. Um, but um, yeah, so I saw this, uh, all the adverts as a, as a child and watched all this stuff. And then finally saw Highlander 2 and thought, I don't understand any of this. Meh. I think it was a friend had a VHS specifically because I saw the um, the sort of theatrical VHS release rather than the Renegade cut. Um, then I saw Highlander 1. And more because of my teenage years, someone said, Highlander's great, you'll love Highlander. And watched it and thought, ah, it's all right. But the problem was... Being a teenager, I was like, "Hey, hey, hey! I want to be, I want to be cool. Yeah, it's really good because you like it, kind of thing." And then in my early twenties, still kept up the whole, "Yeah, it's really good because because you like it." And then in the sort of mid twenties, when I realised, "Hang on, people are dickheads. I can have my own opinions." <laughs> and then I realised Highlander is just okay at best. There's some really positive elements in there, like I say, the core. I mean, the problem I have with it is if you replace the word immortal with vampire, you're like, "Oh yeah, same thing." Except I don't care. There's no threat. I'm not bothered. Um, I really like the whole uh, um, history angle that you can go back and forth and show flashbacks all different periods of time, except they're all fucking awful. The sweet haircuts, the Christmas oh, land. The accents. My God, the accents. Yeah, you see that dueling contest. And it's like, I can't see you all the time. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> um, and then you've got... Matt Stogner's Christopher Lambert impression is my favourite Matt Stogner impression, <laughs> it must be said. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, there are some... Again, some, I do like the Queen songs and didn't, a lot of people don't even seem to realise that the Queen songs that they really love like It's Kind of Magic and stuff were written specifically for this and they film. just ended up on the album which came out the year later exactly yeah. exactly. But they are horribly shoehorned into the oh, film oh god yeah I mean really badly now, done yeah. Yeah. Well, it, weirdly enough there's a bunch of unreleased stuff from the soundtrack as well like the Queen cover of New York New York never actually came out and the 40 seconds that are in the film are the only oh, 40 good. seconds yeah. that exist because apparently Freddie Mercury fucking hates that song <laughs> and refused and didn't let he had the rights to Queen's music so he was like I'm not letting this be released as and a little uh, little um, tidbit fact for you I'm pretty sure Highlander 2 was released the same month that Freddie Mercury died somber tone but also means that technically Highlander 2 might have killed Freddie Mercury <laughs> <laughs> that could be only one <laughs> yeah no so I, I think it's an acceptable film um, it's not nearly what everyone makes it out to be, and that's kind of the problem. If you experience it on your own, as a, I think it's a cult favourite for a reason. It's not going to be accepted by the mainstream, and it's not going to be accepted by a lot of people. It's more for a very core group of individuals. The problem is that core group of individuals seems to have a lot of ex- uh, disposable income and keeps throwing it at the same film, and they keep saying, oh, shit, they must want tons of this stuff, and then they make tons of this fucking stuff. I think it, it it's the perfect example of a kind of film, and I think it's very telling of like looking at our shared memories of it, mm. that it is that perfect kind of film to see when you are a little bit too young to understand it, yeah. and you're kind of aware that like this is like, oh, I probably shouldn't be watching this because it's got people with their heads being cut off in it. <laughs> um and it's the kind of film that doesn't, there isn't really a modern equivalent of it. I suppose the closest mm. you'd get is stuff like John Wick, because I think there, I think there are parts of it that can, that are iconic enough to get uh, framed in your brain, like imprinted in your brain, probably a lot better than they actually show up on the screen. Like I have very vivid, vivid memories of like the opening fight in it in the car park, oh, um, yeah. which feels like such a like iconic 80s thing of like yeah there's a sword fight in a car park and then it turns into electricity so what um, i'm hearing tim is you like backflips yeah oh my god how many backflips does that old french guy do my god 
That's a clip from the film. <laughs> Every cut the audio in there. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's it's almost as many backflips as Mighty Morphing Power Rangers. The movie. <laughs> Dear God. Yeah. <laughs> to this to this day, when I walk into a multi-story car park, I'm like, I'm in Highlander. <laughs> yeah. and I thought that for like 20 I th- years. I thought you were going to say, to this day, when I walk into a multi-story car park, I, I do start back doing backflips. <laughs> I, I wish. The only thing anyone ever thinks at our age walking to a car park is, what the fuck is my car? That's <laughs> yeah. it. Is this the floor I was parked on? It's true that there are weirdly iconic moments in it. I always think of the Kurgan saying, happy Halloween, ladies, to yeah. the nuns. And, of course, right at the end, old Lambert with his arms spread wide, eyes open straight into the camera. <laughs> there can be only one. And then strings coming from his uh, shoulders as yes. he held the lock. Going, ah! I can see everything! <laughs> There's so much fucking wire work in these movies as well. And again, on a boat, trying to to, to balance, or sorry, stabilise Lambert and teach him how to get balanced and be a better fighter. And having the fucking French-Canadian describe to the Scottishman, haggish, what's haggish? And then him describing, it's like, this is... This is wrong. Suspense of disbelief doesn't happen anymore. I, I can't, I can't. It's not, no. That confused the heck out of me because I thought the idea was that uh, Egyptian stroke Japanese stroke Spaniard um, Sean Connery had spent so much time in Scotland he had now got a Scottish accent, which is kind of sad. But, but then he's like, what's haggis? You know, what? what? So you, you've only just got to Scotland? Why do you talk like that? You know? Yeah, Exactly. The weird thing is, a lot of the problems with a lot of the choreography and the wire work is because Christopher Lambert is basically blind without a particular kind of glasses. He has myopia, which is a degenerative eye disease, and he has these corrective glasses that he couldn't wear on set because there weren't contact lenses that he could swap out. So most of the sword fighting, he's sword fighting blind, and he nearly lost a finger in the first one, got hit or stabbed in the second one, I think. He sliced he did, open his he own He did hand. lose part of a finger yeah. in the oh, he second did one, finger, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. He sliced yeah. over his own hand because he insisted on using real swords. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and now oh, I'm blind, no. but I want to use real swords. <laughs> so That's he, a thing. Yeah, Christopher Lambert said, I want to use real swords, it has to be real. And um, they said, you can't have real swords. Also, I'm blind. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do it. And then he sliced open his own hand. I'm pretty sure he and... Because it, was, it wasn't just him, because obviously he had a real sword. I mean, Michael Ironside had a real sword. In a fight scene, I might add, in the original cut, which is two separate fight scenes mashed into one. Um, so he swaps swords halfway through the fight scene. Yeah, yes. plastic swords. And but, clothes. Yeah, and he's, they still managed to, I think, chip either Michael Ironside or Christopher Lambert's tooth and nearly chop off someone's thumb. It was all a bit ridiculous. And they, I think someone eventually said, um, it's very hard to execute precise strokes with a 22-pound broadsword. It's like, no <laughs> fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's bizarre as, as shit. But then, it, as you say, because he literally can't see, it means that he is just flailing blindly. But he also insists on doing like all the stunts, all the hoverboard stuff he did himself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Idiot. Christopher Lambert. <laughs> <laughs> Hearing Matt's impression of him now, like, have we seen Christopher Lambert lately? And are we sure he hasn't turned into Tommy Wiseau? Uh, I, I was going to say, I saw him in uh, in Ghost Rider 2. He's, he's, um... That's not recent. <laughs> no, well, it's, it's recent from the last Christopher decade, Lambert years. Suppose, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's immortal, he doesn't care. <laughs> or is he? Um, but no, you're right. I, th- I think Tommy Wiseau is what happens when the quickening goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, it's a slowening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tearing me 
your part, Lisa. Oh, so hi, Ramirez. <laughs> we should, yeah, can we get that? Can we can get we like, mash up yeah, Highlander two in the room? Christopher Lambert to make another Highlander <laughs> film. <laughs> My name is Connor McLeod, <laughs> and I'm fucking. I don't know what else his character Johnny, Johnny. McLeod. <laughs> Oh, hi, Connor. <laughs> You're my favourite alien from the planet Zeist. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, should we get on to why Highlander 2 needs sequelising, gentlemen? Now that we've decided why Highlander needs sequelising. It is, yeah. The plot doesn't make any sense, and... It just undoes all of the internal logic of the first film, basically. Mm. We go from, oh, they're all the models, and they're like they've been battling for years and years, and it's this never-ending contest. Then, oh, no, wait, they're all aliens, because reasons. See, this is the thing. If you watch the theatrical version, they're all aliens who are sent to another planet to have this contest. But for some reason, Sean Connery and Christopher Lambert have an unbreakable bond, because they do. And um, you only have to call my name and I'll find you. Can I just point out as well that Christopher Lambert remembers this at the beginning of the second movie because this has never been discussed. He's watching the opera and then he's just like has a flashback and is like, I remember this now. I remember that I'm an alien. I remember how me and Sean Connery used to be friends when we were aliens. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. It's like the moral of the story is don't listen to Wagner. You will have fucking flashbacks. (laughs) So the the renegade however, is that it's set way in the past and they're sent into the future. So it depends on which version, because you're either watching a bunch of aliens on Earth having a little contest, and it's weird, or you're watching sort of time travellers, kind of? Yes. It, time travellers I can deal um, with more than planet Zeist. I'm not I don't know. I it's think... just, the thing I love about that is it's like, well, there is a detail that just never needed explaining. And that weird thing where it's like, it's, it's science fiction now. I know that before it was mythology. It but was all fantasy now it's, and magic now it's science and shit, fiction. but... And yeah, it ruins all of its own internal logic, including like Ramirez just comes back to life because McLeod kills two immortals, so he has extra energy to bring his old mate back to life in Scotland mid Hamlet. Because <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's so weird. He starts to realize he's mortal again. Sorry, immortal again because some immortals have turned up. Therefore, he's become, gone from immortal to immortal. Because and, yeah, sorry, and they only show up because Katana, the bad guy, sends them there. Yeah, he could have just left him to die because he's mortal. The only reason he comes back and is immortal is because he sends the only thing that can return Connor McCloud to being immortal again to fight Connor McCloud, renowned fighter and killer of immortals. And Connor McLeod <laughs> says literally at the beginning of the movie that he is dying. Yeah. So we establish when the film starts that Connor McLeod is dying and then like thanks like, to the bad guy. Yeah. He's all powerful yeah. and young. So again. he becomes young again and he does some weird alleyway grinding with Virginia Madsen and Are then they just fuck for no reason. Yeah. And then <laughs> in just, the street. Yeah. And it's like okay. And then Ramirez, my old friend, I need you. And then he appears in Glencoe, Scotland. And this is the weird thing. And it sounds like a, such a small detail, but listening for the Terminator episode, you know me and small details. So basically, 
oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know where I am. And, you know, he's just like, oh, I'm doing Hamlet. I'll just carry on. And the audience of this huge amphitheater just fucking goes with it. Like, oh, a man appeared out of fucking lightning. <laughs> this must be part of the show. This is hilarious. Yeah. And this he goes from them brilliant. like, oh, get him off, get him off. And the guy's like, we just, we just fuck off already in the most English actor and, kind of thing. And Sean Connery is like, I don't know what's going on. Ah, it seems to be some kind of a play. Then I shall bow and clown for you, my audience. Yeah, and I don't think he ever actually acknowledges it's a play. He just goes, ah, well, goodbye, shithead. And <laughs> yeah, he, because he because he apparently there was no swearing in 15th century Scotland. So he calls him a shithead and he goes, what is a shithead? The amount of things Sean Connery <laughs> learns in this film, like flying, oh, suits. You can have my earring. Problem solved. Oh, just fucking <laughs> so he's, to, to travel so to New York to join Connor, he sells an earring and he gets... Old school Scottish regalia for no reason. <laughs> and a plane ticket to New York. Despite the fact he doesn't have a fucking passport. And he doesn't, he doesn't, he just gives it to them. He just goes, this shall suffice for payment. And they look at this old earring and they're like, yes, it will. What time would you like your breakfast, sir? <laughs> so instead of cash for gold, it's earrings for traditional Scottish regalia <laughs> and no questions asked plane tickets. Forged passport, you say? Well, us Scottish tailors know a thing or two about forged passports. There's, um... Yeah, even in the Wikipedia summary of uh, Highlander 2, there's, it makes a point of saying, uh, it's like, Ramirez sells one of his earrings, which is apparently enough to buy. <laughs> <laughs> when you're getting shade in Wikipedia, yeah. like, you know yeah, you've trouble. gone wrong. It is weird, because you have this 2024 apocalyptic wasteland, but the shop still looks like it's a regular 80s. Yeah, not in Scotland. No. Scotland's fucking fine. Scotland's finally like... We're in an element. Problem solved, boys. We're in. Uh, no offence, Scotland. We love you. There's no fucking problem up here, lads. You can take your ozone shield and stick it up your arse. Speaking of ozone shields, what the fuck is... Who thought that was a good idea? Connor McLeod saves the world by putting it into perpetual darkness and the temperature is increased to 99 degrees and there's constant humidity, despite the fact our entire source of temperature and the water cycle... Is the sun. Yep. If there was no water cycle, all the water would just land in the seas, there would be no clouds, mm. and the like would be a desert wasteland on, on Earth. It's like the the void in the matrix. Kind of, yeah. The, when they yeah. black out the sky. It's that concept of like, well no, that's not or how that our episode in the Simpsons works. where Mr. Brown is <laughs> <laughs> Simpsons every time. Skipping the fact that somehow McLeod becomes a scientist at some stage <laughs> in his life. That, well, he mind reads the group of scientists that he recruits to build the machine, to build the shield, because he gains mind reading powers from the end of the Yeah, but he doesn't one. mind read, they're doing a that's, fucking that's, shit job. That's not explained in the theatrical. No, 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 no I was going to say, renegade I, was gonna say yeah. I don't remember that bit, but I only saw the theatrical. And the other thing is, this is much worse than the problem. The solution is much worse than the problem. Oh, yeah. I just don't understand. Did they not think about this for two seconds? If you go to bloody McLeod surgery and say, I've got a lump on my arm, okay, I'll set your fucking face on fire. <laughs> yeah. then, you know? No one's going to get a stupid lump on your arm with a burning face. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, we're worried about the environment and the ecological damage of the earth and stuff. And yeah, let's so destroy let's it. <laughs> destroy the thing that gives 100% of the energy to the life and ecosystem of the planet. Mm. Oh, it does look different between the versions as well. In the, in the theatrical version, it's red, and the renegade version is blue. Do you know oh. why? It's something to do with 
There was a stu- studio intercept. They decided that red looked cooler. Oh, fucking hell. Sick. But it had already been shot with blue light coming through all of yeah. the windows and all the interior scenes. So when they finally got to do the recut in Renegade, they turned it back to blue again. And they spent loads and loads of money on a particular laser oh, technology yeah, 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 yeah. to make the lightning bolt effects and the shield. Just those two things. And, they, and no one else has done that. They, this is the only film that it was the first in. time that was ever used, and it's never been used since, mm. pretty much. <laughs> because they last. used, I think, there was like a particular filament you have to use or something like that, and they used like hundreds and hundreds of feet of this filament. They ended up using about five meters of the stuff yeah. in the entire film. So they shot like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scenes and different versions of the shield and different designs and different types of lightning bolts, and they used like two lightning bolts and one version of the shield, and that was it. And then the studios went, nah, let's turn it red. So they scrapped it all and went just for red instead. <laughs> what? 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 <sighs> Jesus Christ, yeah. It this... really it really makes you wonder what it would have been like if it had like a comp- competent executive producer who was like, nah, let's not shoot in Argentina. That seems quite arbitrary and yeah. the, the, the currency is quite dodgy. And, you know, let's work out what colour we're going to make the sky before we spend <laughs> before we start shooting, millions like, yeah. of pounds on it. Yep. Exactly, yeah. And it's this weird thing where it was so it went if the, the rule was if it went over budget and there was the particular bonding companies that held control of everything if you go over like five percent of your budget at all we take full control of the final cut which is exactly what happened what happened yeah. with Blade Runner yeah. famously and that's why that's been recut so many times and what happened with this so the executives and the studios were like well we're just gonna get a guy like my mate Steve down the road to recut the film because we can't afford anyone else. So yeah. Steve's just going to do it. And they're like, we have an editor here. Well, you've already paid him. It's like, but we can't pay him anymore. So unless he wants to do it for free, we'll just get Steve to do it. And it's just some uncredited bloke yeah. did the final edit of the theatrical cut. <laughs> it was just a mate of one of the executives. It's insanity. Highlander 2, uncredited bloke. <laughs> Highlander 2, an Alan Smithy production. Yes. <laughs> like when you hear everything that went wrong with it, it's almost a miracle that yes. it actually ended up in cinemas yeah. at all. That is true. That is very true. It's a shame it did as well. <laughs> it's, but, uh, <laughs> it would have it's been better mo- off on the category for A tragedy, some might say. Shameful That's... miracle. I, I like to think of it as a monument to human endurance. <laughs> and another reason why I'm okay with the machines taking over. <laughs> we need to be stopped. I think me watching both versions is a monument to human endurance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can somebody for the audience describe Sean Connery's death scene? Because um, I would vomit oh, yeah. too much. He puts so- his hand up in the air. <laughs> yeah. he talks about- in a situation where he should clearly be able to just walk out well, of the we'll, door we'll as well. In a moment. Yeah, they're trapped in a room with a descending like giant fan that has a little spike in the middle, sort of. For some reason, if that makes can it I, any can more I can I just point out that given the proximate, the, the spike is big enough that it means that when the fan gets to the floor there will be enough of a gap that they could all just lie down yeah, and the, they would be fine the yep. spike is like a good few inches long so you could probably lie flat and maybe like it would yeah just miss you kind of thing but so marcus and connor are like oh no what are we gonna do and ramirez just arbitrarily goes well true power if you harness it all in one place you can do incredible things <laughs> and he, and he just off. pans between the two of them <laughs> then holds his hands up turns to lightning for some reason, yep. then the door opens and they leave. And that's it. Yep. Nobody knows why the door opens, because he doesn't stop the thing. It keeps going, but he's lightning, so the door opens and they leave. 
just open the door and leave, all three of you. It doesn't make any fucking in the, sense. In the theatrical version, I don't think he turns to lightning. He just stands there and the door opens. Oh, yeah, really? yeah he no, just stands in there. In the Renegade version, his hand he, he just turns stand- to lightning. Okay, yeah. he just stands there and stares up at <laughs> And they look at him and he's like, goodbye. And they leave. <laughs> and then we just see the fan like, descending. Don't forget who you are, Connor McLeod or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. then he holds his hand. As he, as the fan touches his hands, he turns into lightning and dissipates. And then the door opens. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe in the theatrical version, that's what happens as well. But but there is a good point he where... He didn't have the budget to shoot that. There's a good point. Moment, yeah. There's a good sort of 10 seconds where the door is open and they are deliberate. They are leaving, and he is just standing with the fan still being like a good, you know, ten meters away from him. And he just—he's just like, I just want to die now. I don't want to do this anymore, my God. And he does the weird thing. It's almost like they invented like force ghosting. It's, it's the kind of similar, but obviously nowhere near as emotionally impactful as Obi Wan just disappearing into a cloth. And you're like, oh, wow, that must be a thing in the Force. This is never explained. He just turns to light. He doesn't get decapitated. Why nope. does he die? He just turns to lightning turns for some reason. Turns out two ways. Squishing is another. Because yeah. this is the other thing with that, is unless McLeod and Ramirez find themselves in a very specific position in that scene in which the blades cut off their heads, well, fine. They, are, they are under no threat whatsoever. Yeah. Like, it's and, and another, another fucking real problem retarded. Is like, Katana... Stupid. Is not really a threat to McLeod at any point. He's just kind of a cackling villain who sends minions, but he poses basically no physical threat because he's not a fighter. Nope. Despite the name Katana, as we discussed, <laughs> literally named a sword, but basically poses no physical or really like philosophical Adversary adversarial no. threat to no. McLeod at all. He's just this arbitrary cackling bad guy who has a bunch of minions. I think the thing that makes me the most angry about Highlander 2 is that it wastes the name General Katana. Because <laughs> because if that if that character had showed up in like a Contra style That's arcade a G.I. Joe game, name, right? Like, like yeah. Yeah. yeah, like that is a character that should have a bionic eye. Like <laughs> <laughs> He probably does. Maybe yeah, a robot vulture that sits exactly. on his Exactly. And like God bless Michael Ironside doing his best, but he is not an interesting he tries, character. He tries, he tries, poor Ironside. I'm pretty sure there is a cut out there somewhere where he does have a bionic eye <laughs> and there will be 10 minutes of explanation as to why he does and you see his brother specific katana <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of problems when it comes to the ending as well because this is where the renegade cut and the theatrical really blend because there was a this part of the, the reshoots that jack mentioned earlier you have like a sort of fight scene on a truck roof oh the moving truck thing yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's not in the theatrical at all yeah, and then that they go above, cool. Yeah, and they go above it's the. It's sh- not bad. It's all right. Um, and then they go above the shield. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's in the theatrical, but in a different way. I can't, I can't remember. No, they don't. They don't. No, at they don't at all. At all. Yeah, right. and they see that you know, oh, the ozone's fine. They literally just check it with their eyes. And then at some point, and this is not explained in the Renegade. It's not explained in the theatrical. At some point, Connor gets Ramirez's sword back, out of fucking nowhere yeah never Mid- explained scene just, just here it is it. Yep. yeah yeah sword changes halfway there's, through there's the fight cl- scene. there's clothes changing just arbitrarily there's props and weapons just changing the whole time it's like black dynamite halfway through <laughs> <laughs> really we're using this guy <laughs> just recast him yep. halfway through yeah 
Oh, God. I, I think it deserves saying again, this film makes no sense. No, and no. that's not hyperbole. It's usually this, oh, this film doesn't make any sense. I mean, it kind of does. Oh, I didn't does. get it's Inception. It doesn't done. make any sense. Except, no, I mean, this film properly <laughs> does no, not make sense. And it's not really an enjoyable, get your mates around and have a laugh, because you just end up having an actual... Well, you, you mentioned Tommy was so. Like, you can watch yeah. the room and be like, God, this is terrible, but it's terrible in an amusing and interesting way. This is so bad it's still bad yes like, you, you when you would think you're enjoying it you would turn to someone and say are you are you following this and the person next to you said not really are you enjoying this i'm not really enjoying anything anymore <laughs> <laughs> i no longer experience joy as a result of highlander 2 that's my box quote <laughs> all, all my taste buds have changed to bitter <laughs> exactly it is exactly. a film to have an argument with yes <laughs> and arguments about as we're having yeah. oh yes oh yes <laughs> So that's why Highlander 2 needs fixing. But you, four gentlemen, I'd like to hear your team names for this episode, please. Alec and Stuart, why don't you go first? We are the princes of the sequel-verse. Oh. I'm kind of wishing now we were called Christopher Lambert's secret WordPress blog. <laughs> we are the furry senpai. <laughs> and over to Matt Stogden, Tim Mason. We are too high to lander. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh dear. Before we get into fixing it next week, why don't we get into your elevator pitches, please, gentlemen? Let me hear some little tease for what we're expecting next episode. Alec and Stuart, the princes. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call you for now. <laughs> so, our film is Highlander 2. The End Game. Oh, interesting. And was made in 1989. Mm. Directed by Don Coscarelli, because we wanted that 80s camp vibe, and he's mm. the man behind Phantasm and, of course, Beastmaster. Returning cast, merely two of them. Brenda McLeod will be played by Roxanne Hart again. Mm. Well, she had a different surname in the first film, but hey, they got married in between. And Rachel Allenstein returns, played by the late, great Sheila Gish. Mm. New cast, Declan McLeod, played by Josh Brolin. Robert Wakelin, played by Morgan Freeman. Kraken, played by Robert Zadar. And Enforcer Power, played by the mighty Michael Ironside. Oh, nice. Mm. And, of course, our score, delivered by the fine, fine Stuart Copeland. Oh, oh you kept Copeland. Copeland. Okay. He was Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> Who, of course, wrote the theme to the sequelizers in a roundabout way. Yes, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And your elevator pitch, please, gentlemen. 20 years after the events of Highlander, Connor McLeod's son must join forces with a group of renegades to stop a crazed immortal who is slowly enslaving the human race. Mm-hmm. Intriguing, intriguing. Over to Tim and Matt, a.k.a. Too High, Too Lambert. (laughs) (laughs) Too Lambert. Too Lambert. (laughs) Yes. So our film uh, is made in 1994 and is called Highlander, Live by the Sword. Our director is John Woo. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. This would be his, I believe, his second US production Mm-hmm. after Hard Target. And we also just have two m- members of the returning cast. Roxanne Hart as Brenda McLeod, nay Wyatt, mm-hmm. um, also 
married in between. This and it becomes the exact same thing. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and Christopher Lambert as Connor McLeod. Our new cast, being very 1994. We've also got ages, just in case anyone gets all light and pissy. In the role of Ailsa McLeod, Mila Jovovich. Actually, about 18, 19 at this time of filming. And she would, um, at this point, have only been in Chaplin and Dazed and Confused, but would go on to be in The Fifth Element and He Got Game and a million fucking Resident Evil films. films. (laughs) In the role of Ferric Arno from The Lawnmower Man, Freefall, and then eventually White Up and other things, Jeff Fahey, the kind of guy when you see him, you know his face, a very discerning face. In the role of Casey Arno from School Ties, Dazed and Confused as well, then eventually More Rats and Good Will Hunting and everything else, and eventually Batman, Ben Affleck. Uh, about 21, 22 at this time. And the role of Quinn, only just off really of um, Shallow Grave, Ewan McGregor. And again, he's obviously been train spotting and uh, Emma and Brastoff and all sorts of things. Again, he's 22, 23 at the same time. And a role of Valerie, a small little supporting role um, from Double Dragon. <laughs> and who's the boss and lots of other things. Alyssa Milano. The composer is Graham Ravel. Uh, who's done Hard Target, The Crow, Street Fighter, goes on to do Strange Days from Dust Till Dawn, The Craft. Lots of really dark 90s magic sort of, sort of not, not necessarily gothy, but very gothic mm. kind of uh, individuals. And and obviously work together with Wu on Hard Target. Exactly, exactly. As well. yeah. So our elevator pitch, a mysterious organisation searches for a way to harness the powers of the quickening, training a champion to challenge McLeod, while Connor and his daughter travel to Ramirez's old home for answers to a series of troubling visions. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Both Ooh. quite mysterious, quite intriguing. You'll have to wait until next week to find out, folks, and hear both pitches. I'll see you in your dreams. <laughs> <laughs>